it happened fairly early on. Um, it was actually in Navy times. I was the plane captain for a jet that went in the water. You are now listening to the Why Is It Like That podcast, a mental health podcast where we discuss the crippling effects and stories of PTSD, anxiety, depression, and suicide. The views and opinions of our guests are not our own, but merely their side of the story related to trauma, addiction, and mental health. We are real, raw, and uncut. The stories you hear are not easy to hear. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Trey Trevino, alongside your other host, Heath Garcia. We both suffer from PTSD, anxiety, and depression, just like you. Together, we have over 30 years' experience in the United States Navy and have seen firsthand effects of mental health on our society and ask the question, why is it like that? We share your stories to provide freedom and comfort to the people of this world, that there is hope, that there is peace, and that we will all be okay. But first, I'd like to start by taking a moment of silence for the ones we've lost to this mind battle, to our military that we have lost, and to the soldiers, sailors, marines, coasties, and airmen that are deployed in harm's way, away from their families, missing their child being born, birthdays, anniversaries, and even deaths of loved ones. Not what y'all been waiting for. The Why Is It Like That podcast. Let's get it. What's going on, guys? It's uh, Trey Trevino from Why Is It Like That podcast. As always, I got my co-host, Heath Garcia, here. Yep. And today we're interviewing a sailor, an AT2, Alex, who uh, hit us up and wanted to share her story on this. I mean, we, we've been on a couple of groups. We're on the hashtag Saving Sailors uh, group. We're admins with uh, Ryan on there. And uh, she reached out to us and uh, we talked to her and we said, yeah, let's do this. Let's let uh, other people know what's going on. I think uh, the best thing is to be transparent with people at times. You know what I mean? And if you can reach one sailor, and it seems like we did that, or one person, then it helps. So, um, um, how you doing, Alex? How you doing? I'm good. I'm, I'm a little nervous, but I'm good. <laughs> I'm excited though. No, it's to be expected. I mean, something knowing that you're going to be on something everybody can hear and everything. It's always, uh, nerve wracking. I remember the first couple of times we recorded on here, we were like all over the place. Just like, Oh yeah. We're <laughs> fumbling on words and it was, it was terrible. You want me to, you want me to tell you what Trey's first thought was? Yeah. Yeah, was That's exactly what it was. Right <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Alex, just tell us a little bit about yourself. was born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I spent a lot of my life trying to get out of there because I felt like there was nothing there for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was a really good kid in school. Um, I struggled a little bit with uh, alcoholism in my family growing up. Okay. Um, What's that? So I was kind of... Uh, my father's side. Okay. Um, you know, that's, <laughs> that, that was my first kind of run in with, um, traumatic experiences changing my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to be an adult much faster than I should have been. Um, you know, my, my, I couldn't even be at home later than, 10 at night and not be in bed and uh, have to experience, you know, what my dad 
was going through with his alcoholism. He he ended up breaking his back, and um, I guess the only thing that he felt helped him was alcohol. And uh, I couldn't really make sense of it at first because I was in middle school at the time, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I was asking questions, but I was you know kind of sh- to silenced, and you know he was embarrassed. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that now as an adult. Um, he, you know, occasionally he would get uh, physical, but, you know, it was never, you know, I never had any marks left on me. Um, but there, you know, were threats to end my life if I intervened in between, you know, my mom and my dad fighting and things like that. Yeah. And uh, my dad eventually ended up leaving our family. Um, I was a 20 or 21 um, when he decided to leave, but when my parents were getting divorced, it still made me feel like I was a Mm three-year-old and uh, I I cut him off for about a year because I couldn't deal with the lies anymore. Um, You know, he was, I didn't know if he was going to end up dead or, or in prison or I didn't know where he was going to go. To this day, he's uh, actually um, in recovery, which is great. And we were able to, we were able to kind of rekindle a a father daughter relationship. Um, But I I still have to keep my distance. I still feel like I need to keep my distance Um, (coughs) because, you know, it's, it's not something that uh, just goes away. Alcoholics still tend to have alcoholic tendencies. Yup. I can agree. <laughs> you know, there's still, you know, there's still things that's, that's hard to, to handle mm-hmm. or to deal with. But, um, I still, now I, I told him, you know, I'm the child and I'm not going to be your parent anymore. So unless, you know, you're coming to me to, to ask how I'm doing or, you know, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to tell me about your day, I can't, I can't be your saving grace anymore. And I said a lot of nasty things to him and didn't care anymore because I was the last person to really care for him because the rest of my family was just so done. And I don't blame my, you know, my mom or anybody for that. Um, I just was the last person to give up hope. <laughs> no. Yeah. I understand and that. when I finally gave up, you know, that was it, but we're, we're pretty okay these days. And um, I can love him from afar now. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's, you know, what I experienced early on uh, that really kind of started to make me into the person that I am today. I was a real good kid. Always, you know, did my homework. And my, my mom had to convince me not to go to school some days. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I guess I rubbed ice on my forehead when I was little or something to fake that I didn't have a fever and things like that. So if that tells Damn. you anything. <laughs> Sounds committed um, right there to <laughs> education. But I could see something in that too, though. There was a certain fear of you having to stay home. Yes. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head because yeah, uh, I knew that I needed good grades and things like that to get into the colleges that I wanted to go to and make a life for myself. And I watched I watched a lot of things fail um, <laughs> throughout my childhood. And I... Actually, one of the biggest reasons I joined the Navy was because I was going to take care of myself. Nobody else needed to. Mm-hmm. So what about the Navy gave you that impersonation? You know what I mean? Or or that persona that right. that's where you needed to go to take care of yourself. 
Well, I'm actually fourth generation Navy. Oh. Um, my I'm the first I'm the first girl, but uh, my dad, my grandpa on my dad's side, and my great grandpa on my dad's side, they were all Navy, and so I knew that they took a lot of pride in that. And I knew a couple of people who had joined the military and, and one specifically had joined the Navy. And I saw like they were starting to see the world and do have all of this, what this independence that I didn't feel I had at the time. Right. And that's, I, I just, I wanted my own paycheck. I wanted my own way around the world. I wanted to, I wanted to take care of myself because I felt like I had taken care of a lot of people for a really long time. Right. So you have Alex, you have Alex, the, the little girl, um, watches her dad grow up with alcoholism in the, in the home, um, suffers abuse. Yeah. It's not super, you know, exposed to where there's bruises and everything, but enough to, to make you the way you are. Um, as least, at least mold you to this point where we're talking, we're starting to talk about your entrance into the Navy. And then, here she is trying to seek independence in a, in a life of her own because you simply probably had enough at that point. You needed to get away from the house. Um, yeah. So first word I want you to hold on to while we're talking is resilient. Okay. I'll just leave that word there. We'll talk about it later. Resilient. Um, mm-hmm. I also know too, at the Navy's level, it's like, it's like that one little clip of men of honor where you see, um, Cuba Gooding Jr., right? He's he's like standing in this line and his dad's like, don't trust what them people always tell you. <laughs> and, he's, <laughs> yeah. and he's walking to the bus and that and that that chief's sitting there and he's got that big grin on his face. He's like, We'll make you all you can be in the US Navy. <laughs> and then that dude was laughing <laughs> on the other end. Yeah. So yeah. go ahead. Go ahead, Alex. <laughs> sure. Um so I knew that like I, I needed to do something big for myself or I needed I needed to succeed in some way. Um, my mom and I actually lived with my grandparents on my mom's side, and that's kind of important, actually, really important to what's coming up later. Um, they always told me that they saw something special in me, and that I was going to do big things. And of course, I didn't believe them. They're supposed to say stuff like that. They're my family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and while uh, after I finished high school um, and started working and I started college. I was going to college full time. And at one point, I think I had even three part-time jobs <laughs> at one point. Um, so I was really, I was kind of killing myself over trying to, to get what I wanted and needed and get to where I needed to be. Mm. And I was running off of scholarships Um while I was going to college, though, I ended up meeting um, a partner. <laughs> this is going to be really hard. Sorry. <clears throat> I ended up meeting a partner who uh, ended up really fucking me up. Um, just to put a theme to the way that uh, I was treated in this relationship, he is currently waiting in federal prison uh, for a murder and kidnapping trial. Yeah. Uh, it start. he started out real nice, you know, um, the way that, you know, things typically start out, uh, when, when people are manipulators and please, this is, I'm just speaking from my own experience. I know this happens to men too. Um, 
Thanks for pointing that out. Absolutely. I I definitely believe that there's, you know, men out there that need help in, in relationships as well. And they don't know what to do. Um, this was, I, th- I thought I wasn't going to survive this relationship. Um, he would say things to me like, uh, if you ever try to leave me, I'll kill you or, or I'll hurt your family. Um, when you marry somebody, uh, your body is no longer yours and you have no right to say no. Holy fuck. Uh, yeah, he was he was a special one. I mean, I, I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt because he grew up really, really rough and his mom did horrible things to him. And he, at the time, was doing real well for himself, owned his own business, was volunteering at his church and had a second job. You know, I didn't want to condemn somebody for their past. Um, but he ended up taking that past out on me um, physically, emotionally, sexually. Uh, it got to a point where he took pleasure in letting other people hurt me. Mm. So, fuck. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm I'm, I I'm I'm glad he's where he's at right now. I'll let yeah. you continue, but that's good. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, me too. It, because I now I know where he's at, and I'm not scared of not knowing where he is. <laughs> um, I don't remember these people's faces. Um, I can't even really remember every single thing that he did. Um, that's just that's just territory with post traumatic stress disorder. I have a lot of uh. Spotchy memories. Yeah, I have trouble with memory. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it'll pop up out of nowhere. Cool, thank you. That's exactly what I needed on a Monday morning while I'm trying to do my job. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they they refer to that as a red car syndrome. You know what I mean? You might have a red car pop up when you're driving and all of a sudden you go into this panic attack and you don't know why, but it's some red car that you remember now looking back into a trauma event that, that was just on the side of the road when you got blown up or something. You know what I mean? So yeah. I definitely, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I definitely oh, agree okay. with you. Um, an exa- example of that, um, every time I saw a white truck or a white Chevy, um, my stomach would get sick. So I ended up buying myself a white Chevy <laughs> to take that back. Well, fuck and yeah. I love that truck and I take pride in my truck. <laughs> That's what's up right there. Hell yeah, fucking Chevy too. No, like, like owning that <laughs> shit, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like fuck and that, that I, way- I ain't gonna let that shit fucking be the, get the best of yeah, me. That's good. Yeah, really nice. and it doesn't it doesn't bother me anymore because that's that's my pride now. Mm-hmm. Um, he but yeah he he did he did horrible horrible things. Um, he ended up telling me that he planned on having somebody attack me at some point so that he could break me down and build me up exactly the way he wanted. <laughs> and uh, the I said no one time and I paid for it. Um, yeah. So it was just easier to let it, let whatever was going to happen happen and then survive through it, if that makes sense. I understand completely about the survivor mentality. Like I said, when it comes to post-traumatic stress, um, you're talking about fight, flight, or freeze. And in your case, you're, you're going to do what you can do to survive. And in that case, it, it might have been the freeze. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, something that's something that I, I think is really important to get across, something that really is close to my heart is when people ask the question or say things like, well, why didn't you just leave? Or I would have just left. I would have done this. And you know what? I had that mentality before it happened to me. 
And I didn't leave because I was fucking terrified. <laughs> he knew where I lived and he told me he was going to kill me or hurt my family. Right. And it was easier for me to protect my family and stay there and not let them know what was going on. And did your family ever like notice anything? They, they started to, and they started asking questions and my mom started, uh, you know, trying to be closer to me <laughs> and my mom and I were close anyway, but, um, you know, the, the, the day that it find that I finally left is the day that my mom made me leave. <laughs> and that's because I was hanging out with my mom and he called me and I wasn't at the house mm-hmm. and he started berating me and I was halfway across the room from my mom and she could hear him without speakerphone being on you stupid fucking bitch. You're not here to make me my fucking food. And you know, mm-hmm. it, it was all of that. And he was like, come get your shit. And I was like, uh, um, okay. <laughs> and my mom was like, okay, we're going to go get your shit. <laughs> and my mom, my grandpa, and my my little brother, I call him little, but he's like six foot four. And my little brother came with me and, and gathered me up and gathered my stuff out of the out of his house. And that was it. I I cut him off. I blocked him on everything. He tried to get at me through my friends and through people that I worked for. And he tried to make new emails and email me. I mean, this went on for a year after I left. And this is coming closer the time that I'm going to join the Navy. (laughs) Um, I, I graduated with my associates while all of this was going on. And I was 0.2 points away from making um, honors, (laughs) which was so frustrating, but I still graduated um, with excellent grades and started to run out of money for school (laughs) scholarships. Yeah. (laughs) Cause, um, they were only good for so many semesters and I had changed my major. So I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, so I started looking into the Navy. Sorry. I have a, I have a Navy dog. <laughs> um, I, started, I started looking into the Navy and I was scared shitless, <laughs> but I started, you know, researching that. And I went into the recruiter's office and was like, Hey, this is what I want to do. Um, I need to get the hell out of here. I need to get money for school or something. I can't stay here. I I can't. I'm not going to make it here. And that's what began my Navy journey. (laughs) So I studied that shit up. I knew the the study guide front to back before I even went to boot camp. And I was, although I was terrified, I knew it was the right thing. And even to this day, looking back at it, I still look back at it. You know, little airman me going through. (laughs) <laughs> RTC and A school. I'm still fond of that. I don't regret it by any means. I just know that it's not a place for me anymore. Right. Um, so I get going through the Navy. I go through my school. I get to my permanent duty station. And when I get there, <laughs> I, from what I understood, you know, it was every man for himself and nobody cared about your career, but you, which, you know, it still rings true um, in certain aspects with certain people. Can you, can you elaborate for that real quick? <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I was in the line shack. Not everybody's going to know what that is, but <laughs> a lot of people will. Uh, I started in the line shack and I was working toward my plane captain qualification, mm-hmm. um, launching the jets, being ground safety, 
um, learning daily inspections on aircraft and turnarounds and running the flight line and things like that. Yep. When I first got there, you know, I was treated like shit. <laughs> I was a piece of shit. Nothing uh, is what they told me because I had no qualifications in the Navy. So I meant nothing to the Navy. Um, I actually ended up going on uh, emergency leave because I had a family member pass away. And when I came back, my cranial, um, the protective head equipment that I had, all of the, the, the tape on it was destroyed and like dragged on the ground to make it look like shit. And I asked, you know, who did it and why? And they were like, because you don't deserve a nice looking cranial. You don't mean shit to the Navy yet. So you have to earn that. When was this? What year was this? Uh, 2016. That's wow. crazy that they still be doing shit like that in 2016. Right. <laughs> and you know, I was like, shirt. I guess this is just how it is. <laughs> no, I mean, because I was, it's not supposed to be though, because I mean, we have all these grand policies that come out from the CNO and everybody else that talks about hazing and bullying and things. And, you know, when you're trying, yeah, you're brand new in the Navy, but that's your most crucial point when you come in, you know, is to build you up the right way. And I think that's so wrong of our culture, you know, as a service to embody that type of, you know, upbringing. I, I think it's, it's terrible. It's bad leadership. It's jealousy. It's a lot of things. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I, jo I joined in 08 and my first duty station was where you were at we've spoke before right and mm -hmm. even then they were doing I, I never went to the line shack i went straight to the ao shop <clears throat> but they never did whenever they we they did certain things like that or it was like go get the keys to the jet type of thing and you know what i mean oh yeah yeah take, a, take an exhaust sample <laughs> exhaust sample all that stuff like people would say or like you would hear somebody be like hey man don't be doing that shit that's that's uh they consider that hazing now mm -hmm. and that was eight years before you you were there yeah, that so, was just starting up yeah and so that's what i'm like wow that eight like at, in 2016 they were still doing stupid shit like that like they used to make the, the line the what what do we, what do we used to call y'all we call you line, the, rats? line rats yeah <laughs> call you all the line rats yeah. and um they like i remember you couldn't sit inside the shop if you didn't have your your pc because you're oh, a trainee yeah, right really, you're a trainee you, you weren't allowed sit to sit at all you're only yeah, allowed to sit. You get to sit outside. And I, I'm fully like, I'm guilty of as an AO. I was like, man, if you ain't got your team member and all that, if you, if you don't have this and this, <laughs> then you ain't shit. <laughs> you, yeah. You need to go get your quals. You need to get, and I'm, I'm guilty of it as well because that's the, that's the culture, right? That's the, yeah. what we were, you need to, especially where we were at. And then in the community that we're in, it's, that's like, that's what it is. Right. Cause it's go, 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 go the whole time. Yeah. But continue. Yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Oh no, no worries at all. Yeah, it was, it was, it was just like that. Like he, it, their mentality was, we're gonna treat you like shit, so that you don't want to be a trainee anymore, so that you get your plane captain qualification and you move on to your shop. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that I mean, it. I was motivated anyway, but it was. I I also you know, I was also a, a female. And I felt at that time that I had to be mean, more mean than I thought was necessary in order to just even fit in. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. it, I mean, you, you got to be rough with the boys, you know what yep, I'm saying? Yep. If you're going to be in with the boys, you got to be rough and you got to be thick skinned and you got to, you know, you have to go through the shit that they went through. I I firmly believe that everybody is, is equal, you know, and should be treated equally. 
but there is um, a part of us that we call surface sailors that refer to it as an even keel. You know what I mean? You're not yeah. supposed to go too overboard on certain shit because at the end of the day, you're still a team. You still have to count on each other. It does mean you have to be, you know, susceptible to criticism and things like that. But I know for a fact that uh, if you look at service, surface fleet and air, and I don't like to separate the two because we're all one great Navy, but if you, if you do look at them both, I think Airedales in particular carry on a little bit more of the, of the bullshit, you know, because I think it, I don't know if it has to do with the job or. I will tell you though, the, the, like one of my closest friends, sister to me, Sheila D. Olson, or she's not Olson no more. Sheila D. Perkins. She was an AO. We're both AOs together there. And she was fucking tough, man. Like I'm telling you, she was like, fuck y'all. I can do this shit, do it better than y'all. And she could. Like you can tell her shit. Yeah. And and it was just like that. I'm like, why is she so mean? Like, why are the <laughs> females so mean? Like, when I first got there, you know what I mean? I was yeah. like, damn. And no, but I, you know, but I you saying this, it, ma- it makes. But it started to make sense. Like, oh, because they got to be harder. You know what I mean? Than 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 the dudes out here. To be taken seriously. Yes. Like I can do my job. So now you're gonna make me be a bitch about it <laughs> because. it's not going to register any other way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cause they try to make you feel inferior, but it's even the dudes too. Cause if the dudes were like all, I I was guilty of it. Like if they didn't know how to handle a tool or if they were like this, I'm like, what's up with you? I'm like, what's up with you city boy? You ain't never worked (laughs) with tools before. Why'd you do yeah. this? Like, and I remember doing that. And now that I think about it, I'm like, it's such a fucking dick move. Cause I didn't know, like maybe they didn't grow up around that. Like maybe they grew up a different way, but I was, you know, a young country ticks and come on. And I was like, that's you homie. And I was like that too. But going again, so I'm just reliving like my time over there too, but I'm hearing your story and I can like picture myself in the shop and everything like that again. Yeah, no worries at all. All right. So yeah, that was, that was my introduction to the Navy. And I was like, wow, this is really how it is. You know, people were telling me that nobody's going to care about you except for you. Um, and um, I, feel like I did really well. Um, there's still people that will try to say, you know, you just did your job, but I feel like I went above and beyond my job in that time. You know, I got my plane captain qualification and I set myself apart from the other people just by doing the little shit that other people weren't doing. Um, you know, taking care of my aircraft and having my pilots say, you know, this is one of the cleanest cockpits I've had in a long time and yep. shit like that. So I took a lot of pride in that and I was so proud of myself and I felt like I climbed my way up and I got to this point, like, you know, Hey, maybe I really can do this and I can roll with the big boys, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then came my first deployment. <laughs> mm. So I want to say that the, Second worst six months of my life, apart from that relationship that I mentioned earlier, um, was my first cruise. So that was my first cruise. And you know, I had never been on an deployment before. We were going to all these crazy places. I was going to see all these countries. And at this time, I had started seeing someone. 
So I actually went on this cruise with someone and I'm, I'm married to him now. He's my spouse. And he's actually underway right now. Oh, he was your boo-boo. <laughs> 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 well, he, uh, he was my squadron boo. Which, oh, squadron you know, boo that turned into your boo-boo. And- that, yeah, that turned into... <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. But, uh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I know it's, I know it's like taboo. Like, oh, you're, you, you married somebody from your squadron? Yeah, but we know what happened. <laughs> Girl, I was with him for three years before that happened. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> well, congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so the cruise was, I, you know, I was scared. I was learning the boat still. Um, I was still in the line shack, but I was a third class at this time. Mm, so you and, were running uh, it a little bit then, huh? You were kind of running shit. I, w- I was getting up there, yeah. Okay. Um, I I actually picked up third a month before I made plane captain. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, so I was I was called trainee three for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this cruise, it happened fairly early on. Um, it was actually in Navy Times. I was the plane captain for a jet that went in the water. Mm. Yeah, that's like, that's like it, the biggest, mm, scariest things when you launch a bird. Yeah, like for you doing that for AOs, you know the bomb. Yeah, going yeah. off when it shouldn't be. You know the 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 AME if the seat doesn't go off. Ah, yes. Um. So you know, I just want to preface it with, you know, the pilots sur- did survive, and we're actually, um, we actually kind of have like a. A relationship now like you know we just know <laughs> yeah I mean, um, you share something like that together how can you not like right um i had it, it was a this fl- this jet hadn't flown in over a month so we were doing you know fcfs functional check flights mm-hmm. and my, my mo flew it and he was he came back the only issue was one of the switches didn't stay where it was supposed to but it wasn't a big deal so we were gonna you know take care of that okay and then DCAG, DCAG uh, got in the jet. Oh, my God. And just so everybody knows, DCAG is <laughs> the deputy of the entire air group. Boo. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying that's pretty up there for a plane captain. Like, it's not just the, the, the commanding officer of the squadron. It's your whole CAG. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. Like, you better look mm-hmm. shit hot, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, they trusted me with DCAG. <laughs> well, that meant something. Oh, yeah. So uh, I actually passed off um, my one once DCAG took off, it was shift change, and I passed my jet off to the next plane captain. Mm-hmm. And that plane, that plane captain never got the jet back. Um, you, you probably went to your rack, and then they came and woke you up. And I actually had spent some time in my AT shop hanging out with the ATs trying to. Oh. Uh, yeah, trying to learn the AT life and, you know, hang out in there. And mm-hmm. they let me use the computer, you know, to, to, to talk to my family. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I heard set River City condition one. <sighs> and me being, you know, new to deployments and new to boat life and stuff. I was like, oh, that's just when they shut everything down. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, I can't be on the computer anymore. So I went out to the P-Way. And this person from another squadron said, oh, man, I feel bad for you guys. You know, she saw my squadron on my jersey and mm-hmm. I was like, what? What do you mean? And she said, uh, DCAG just punched out 
and your jet went in the water. Oh my god! And my body or my soul left my body. <laughs> I can't even imagine the I, feeling of that. What was the feeling? And I was, what was the feeling? It was. Um, have you ever lost feeling in your hands? You know, I would say no, but unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he lost feeling in his leg. <laughs> oh God, I'm sorry. <laughs> No, I've lost, like, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. You just go numb. Yeah, at my like, I lost feeling in my hands. Um, the top of my head, it felt like TV static, you know what I mean? Yeah. If I could describe it physically, that's what it was like. And, like, I felt not necessarily outside of my body, but, like, zoomed out, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how you can zoom in and out with a camera? My, I, It felt, like, zoomed out. <laughs> Yeah, And I didn't even finish that conversation with her. I was up at the bow where my shop was on the 03 level. You took off, huh? Yes, I ran. I was jumping over them knee knockers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, I'm only five foot two, so that's... (laughs) So you're like pretty much pole vaulting over them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, I mean, I wasn't even touching them shits. I was running so fast. And I even had, you know commanders and stuff moving aside from me because they heard the set river city and then they see this little third class running oh, through you know the 03 level yeah you know something's <laughs> going down they set something you see somebody ready i'm just gonna get the hell out of their way like some shit just yeah. went down absolutely and i i made it. it it was all the way to the back of the ship where my maintenance control was mm-hmm. and as soon as i hit that frame where my maintenance control was it was all i can remember is a sea of green and a sea of khaki. (laughs) It was green jerseys and the khaki pants. And that night, all of my, every single khaki in my entire command watched me fall apart. And I had a female chief holding me up and I was sobbing. I was like, is he okay? Where is he at? That was my jet. Because I was like, you know, that's someone's son, that's someone's dad. And I was losing my mind and they didn't, they hadn't found him yet. The SAR was still out looking for him. Golly. They ended up, you know, sending, they were like, it's okay, go lay down in your rack. And I was like, what the fuck? There's no way I could go, yeah. <laughs> just go lay down in my rack. Hey, here's, so a, here's, a, here's a Lipton tea and a galley pass. Just go eat something, <laughs> take a break. Yeah. And like in my mind, I was like, somebody yell at me, somebody get me in trouble. Like some, I, cause I, you know, I was so sure that I did my job excellently. You know what I mean? But there was still that what if of what if I accidentally missed something? There what if I was in, you. yeah. What if I'm in, it, I was in such a hurry and I was, you know, so nervous about having DCAD come to my jet that I, that I missed something. I was like, somebody sit me down and yell at me. And they were, nobody did. <laughs> they just were like, Hindsight's twenty twenty though. You everybody sent you know, when something goes wrong, it's the time to think about the what ifs. And that's that's called when we like just pretty much self defeat ourselves in the decisions that we made at that time. And I mean, you know, as a plane captain, it's it's on you to make sure because you're the last person that, that you know what I mean, that gives the hand salute to the bird. You know what yeah. I mean? You're the last person to see that guy off the off the ground. And you know yeah. that that job is that critical that Hey, you know, if I'm the last point of contact, you know what I mean? I got to make sure this yeah. guy's going running smooth. But so. I'll, say, I'll say, I'm sure nobody was yelling at you and shit. Cause if they put DCAG's hands or, his, you know, his life in your hands with launching the bird, then they yeah. thought something of you. And that's why they're not yelling at you. Now, if it was just a regular, old, you know what I'm saying? 
somebody yeah. that's missing stuff on their dailies and turnarounds and stuff, I'm sure they would have been like, what, you sure you did your turnaround correctly? You sure you did it? Yeah. Days and days. I actually had a senior chief pull me aside and he was like, listen, this is probably never going to leave you, but none of these people in here have lost any type of faith in you. You're not in trouble and we know what kind of sailor and plane captain you are. So, and he actually explained that to me. He was like, there's a reason that nobody's like chewing your ass. Yes. <laughs> and it ended up being something that, you know, a plane captain would never have been able to catch anyway. Um, it actually ended up not being maintainer error at all. Um, <laughs> malfunction, jet malfunction. Uh, it, it was, uh, you know, they considered it pilot error, but he, he's still flying and everything. Yeah. But um, he's, he's a, oh, he's a great man too. And <laughs> after all of that happened and I watched that man walk out of that helo on his own two feet, I crumpled again. Yeah. <laughs> But he, uh, he ended up finding me a few days later and was like, hey, I heard how busted up you were about what happened. And he's like, I want you to know that I would have you as my plane captain any day. He was like, once I can get up in the air again, he was like, I'd be happy to have you, you know, launch my jet again. And that made me feel a lot better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but at, at that point in my, my career, I mean, it was fairly early on. And I, I ended up you know, p- slowing down, um, completing my plane captain at first because th- I knew how s- I took that job incredibly seriously. And at that point that happened. And I was like, I, I was like, I want to be out of the Navy now. <laughs> I was like, I can't. No, yeah. I, that's, that's rough. <laughs> having somebody's life like that. When I thought he died, that, when I thought that somebody died, and I was related to it and I had the potential of contributing to that there. I was like, there's no way I want to do this anymore. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not laughing because it's not funny. It was just unbelievable. Yeah. I'm sure you were not laughing at the time. No, no, not at all. It, it's, it's something I can look back at and it's a, it's a crazy story and it's a, it's a lesson that I pass on from there on. I've passed it down to, you know, new airmen and, and third classes that come in and think that they're hot shit and they skip out on something. And I let them know, like, you don't, you don't ever want to know what it feels like to lose somebody mm. or lose an aircraft like that. Um, but you know, it's, it's okay now. Um, that was just the, you know, one of the things that happened on that cruise. <laughs> it's not fun being under investigation for several months <laughs> while you're on deployment. Right. Um, I also was a, I was, I also was, um, in, in overflow, um, for birthing. So oh, I was placed, no. I know, <laughs> um, can you, I know was what, placed, can, you, can you let the listeners know what that is? Cause we got some people that don't know Navy terminology. Yeah. The birthing. So it's, it's just where, um, we sleep. It's, it's like, it's almost bunk beds, you know, three stacked on top of one another and there's not very much space. There's a few lockers. Um, that you can place your things in, but you can't bring too much on deployment with you because mm-hmm. there's not going to be too much room. And and then the overflow, what's that? The overflow. So, I mean, overflow for me meant being in another space that wasn't related to the command that I was in. I was sleeping next to and around uh, people that actually lived in those racks um, that were actually attached to the ship. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't with the people that cared about me. 
Yeah. Yeah. You got um, a ship's it, company and that's, that's pretty rough, especially with certain ratings. I know BM, you know, EN. Um, I was in supply. The supply. Mm, yeah. Those guys too. <laughs> LSs. SKs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the long story short with, with that part of the deployment is that it's for some reason, <laughs> ship's company did not like, uh, air wing. And I was air wing and I was the worst kind of air wing because I was in the line shack. So my clothes smelled like fuel and my clothes smelled like hydraulic fluid. No matter how many times I washed them, mm-hmm. you know, they, I couldn't get away from it. No matter how many times I showered, it was, it's, it's a, a tough, it's a tough thing to get away from mm-hmm. when I'm doing it for, you know, 12, 16 hour days. Yep. And it got to a point where um, these females were spraying shit in my rack. Uh, they were taking our, you know, my stuff. And they were taking a friend of mine's stuff and putting it in, you know, gear drift or like throwing it away. Even when it was in its place, um, I started getting called names. Um, it was it was high school right? shit. Was that? Yeah, by my, by my own shipmates, by 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 my own gender, even, <laughs> you know. And there was a point in time that one of the girls even ended up getting coming into my cube. So it's not very big yeah. and getting into my face and yelling at me about, you know, closing my rack. And I'm five foot two. And at the time I was like 120 pounds. I could barely hold my rack up and I was the top rack. <laughs> so it was acrobatics, you know, getting in mm-hmm. and getting out. Mm-hmm. And she got in my face and, and, you know, she, I hear this every fucking morning and just started cursing me out. And it was about four or five months of this shit that was going down. And I had even tried to confront these people myself, handle it at lowest level possible, right? Mm. I almost pulled that girl out of her rack by her hair and my friend stopped me. <laughs> and I'm glad she did because, you know, from that moment on, I was like, I got to do what I need to do because from here on out, they have nothing on me other than I'm too nice. They hadn't. And that's how I got through that was remembering like they have nothing on me unless I'm being or for the exception that I'm being too nice. And that that's it. And CMCs got involved because it escalated to there. I started with them, you know, face to face. Then I started. Then I went to first classes. Then I went to chiefs. And then it, it went all the way to CMCs. And. I could still hear the girls talking about, oh, you know, this bitch, why'd she have to take it all the way to CMC? Like, doesn't she know that she could have handled it a different way when I was trying every avenue before that? Yeah, it like was, I could have handled it a fucking different way, like beating your ass. And, then, you know yeah, I mean? I, and I almost did. Right. But that's not very <laughs> sailorish of us. So that we don't do that. We try to do the the high and mighty road out of that and try to be. Right. You know, like we, that's why we joined the Navy to escape that type bullshit, of life bullshit yeah and and my cmc and i appreciate it i was like really i was really upset at it mm-hmm. at the time but he was like you know if we move you they win and i was like what you're gonna leave me in there <laughs> <laughs> oh man i would have been like fine you- let him win then i don't give a damn <laughs> I'd have yeah. been like, look, you just give me a pipe wrench. Let me sit up in my right without my <laughs> and, uh, and And that was really, really fucking hard on my mental state because I had already lost a jet. You know what yeah. I mean? And then I had these girls and I didn't understand why. I, you know, I did everything I was supposed to do. I kept my area clean as, as I could. 
you know, and I still had these people. I it got to a point where I wasn't even going to to my rack and sleeping. Um, it was only three or four hours a night that I was getting and then working 12, 16 hour days on the flight. So that alone can deteriorate somebody's mental health. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then <laughs> um, our port got canceled, which, you know, happens. Yay. It was Australia, though. <laughs> <It hurt. laughs> we're, I remember we were supposed to go to Spain. We're going to go to Spain or around the world cruise and Spain's going to be this. We're going to hit it. Nobody ever hits it. Fuck out of here. <laughs> Extended. Get your ass yeah. back onto the Gulf. Yeah. And uh, they, they, there was some crazy shit going on with North Korea at the time. And it no. got canceled. Well, we were, you know, that, that was a blow. It was like, oh, shit, that, that sucks. Well, did they at least give you fucking lobster and steak and ice cream that night? Well, I feel like we got that a lot on that cruise. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, what ended up happening next was that we got extended 30 days. <laughs> the Admiral came on mm-hmm. and we were like 30 days away from co- from coming home. Yep. And the Admiral came on and that's never a good sign. <laughs> um, and he said, you know, we're going to be extending for 30 days. And that made our 30 days, 60 days <laughs> until we went home. And in my mind, that was 30 more days I had to sleep in that birthing. <laughs> Um, so how did it play out for you when you got, you know what I mean? When you got home and like you finally got back to port, did everything calm down? Um, actually during the extension, when we would have been home, mm. uh, what I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my grandparents that I lived with, um, this is the part where it's going right. to, where it might get hard. <laughs> okay. Um, my grandpa who essentially raised me he was he wasn't just my grandpa he was like my dad taught me math and how to jump rope and how to dribble a basketball and shit right i got a red cross message (laughs) during the extended part of the cruise we already would have been home um but he was in end stage lung failure Mm -hmm. and i didn't know because we had been on cruise and they kept it from me um up until they knew that like he wasn't going to make it and luckily enough for me, you know, not many talk to the people that their Red Cross messages are about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got to talk to him. And I think part of uh, what I struggle with as far as um, PTSD Navy related goes is I still remember the way he sounded and uh, knowing that he was dying and he was begging for me to come home. But we were blue water. <laughs> Mm. So (laughs) we had just made it blue water. It was like some fucked up stars aligned in the universe to where I I wasn't going to be able to go home at all. And so, you know, as he's dying, Mm -hmm. um, I told him that I was on my way when I absolutely couldn't have been. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I still deal with the loss of him to this day. And that's the second biggest thing that changed who I am. It's the most painful loss that I've ever had to this day. It makes it hard to celebrate holidays. <laughs> and uh, my, my CMC was going to send me home as soon as we uh, made it to where they were going to start cutting people off. Mm-hmm. But at that point, 
um, his funeral had already happened. And so in my mind, I was like, what's the fucking point? And at this time, I had I had asked my LCPO and my LPO, can I be lead plane captain? <laughs> and they made me lead plane captain. So, like, of course I can't go now. I got to fulfill my spot. And see, we and do it, that. We get locked into that mode, huh? Like, this yeah. is more important than anything. Yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. It's like uh, everything, everything kind of turns to the back burner. You know what I mean? Because that's the way, I mean, the Navy is wonderful. And, and it's also, it, it, it's like a double-edged sword, you know? Because some of your greatest moments come from some of your, your your accomplishments and your goals and and the things that you do out there on the flight deck, in the skin of the ship, on a 50 cal, on a cruiser, whatever. You know what I mean? And then there's that other part that sits there and just gets neglected and neglected. But, I mean, I can speak for that as well. Like, you you have the sense of purpose, right? You're like, I'm the lead plane captain now. Like. Yeah, and I, and I know that, like, in the scheme of big Navy, that's not necessarily a huge deal. But for <laughs> but you at, me, that at the time, time, it was. Yes. Like, for me, I'm like, I'm the quazo now. You know what I'm saying? I'm the quazo yeah. for this. I'd be like, this is more important than anything. And I would neglect so much shit because it felt like, oh, my God, like, this is very important. This is I'm they're doing. They're counting on me. Yep, they're counting on me. Now <laughs> it's like. Let them down. And now it's like, for what? <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so what else happened? Um, you know that that was near the end of cruise. We actually got a beer day, <laughs> which hey. was a saving grace. Oh fuck! I you slept still got on those a, in the navy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I slept on a metal box for three hours, and it was one of the best naps I ever had. And that's because I slammed my two beers. <laughs> I'm sure you got a bad sunburn. Everybody had bad sunburns, <laughs> right? Well, actually, I stayed. It was held in the hangar bay. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess there was there was weather, I think, or something. I'm not sure. To this, you know, I can't rem- quite remember. But they they held a whole bunch of stuff in the hangar bay, and yeah, I just slept in our line shack on a on a metal cruise box for mm-hmm. three hours. It was so great. <laughs> so when you got off, right when you guys pulled in, mm-hmm. yeah. Now let's. Let's get to your diagnosis. So you said mm-hmm. you suffer from PTSD, depression, anxiety, and you're on, you were on meds. You're not anymore. Yeah. And you also mentioned to me on our earlier talk that, you know, you had to use alcohol a lot. So when did this start or is this all um, linked together from those two incidents or were there more? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that I actually, that was, yeah, so that being 2016 to 2017, I didn't start getting help for any of this until 2019. Makes sense. Um, yeah, uh, we were in this crazy schedule of, I mean, I was in, you know, I was in a, a place where we did workups, 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 we're gone all the time, then we hit deployment. And then boom, as soon as we came back, we went immediately back into workups and hit another deployment. And then boom, it was RIMPAC. <laughs> so I didn't get help for any of this until after I got married because I was finally being sent away um, because you, we were same squadron. I got married and I was like, wow, 
I have to do these physicals to go to my next command. I may as well just mention this stuff now. <clears throat> now that I don't have to be anywhere yet. So why that's when I started. Why didn't you mention anything before? Um, I was really scared that I was going to lose my job. Exactly. Being an AT, especially. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is something um, that we see very often. And we've talked about this in the past. Like, And, and you know, big leadership, big Navy, everybody's asking, like, just go talk to somebody. Like, why are they, yeah. why are they not talking to people where, you know what I yeah. mean? How are we going to get to the deck plates and get to know our people? They don't want to, like, you have to want to talk to somebody and it's hard because you're so scared that they're going to take everything away from you that you've been working for. Yep. Yeah. And you know, and when I checked out of my, my command and I had my XO, my COXO checkout, they sat with me at the same time and I checked out with them at the same time. And I said, you know, with all due respect, I don't think that us having this meeting is going to be of any benefit to anybody unless I tell you what I really think. And they were like, Oh, please. You know, I was like, your biggest, your biggest disconnect are your leaders. They don't care about their sailors. They don't care. They have, I mean, everybody has their own lives going on, but all they care about is the mission and mission is paramount. Yes. But you can't take care of the mission. If your people aren't taken care of. Pow. Hold on. Let me get that. It's the truth. And you burn yeah. your people out too. You burn them and burn them and burn them and burn them out. And that's yeah, been and my I'm, major disconnect with the Navy after thinking about it. You know, they ingrained that into you. You know, the mission's first. Mission's first. And um, Ryan Chiraba, you know, he he said something that, that kind of stuck out to me that I never thought before. And he mentioned the fact that our U.S. Navy name tape is sitting over our chest. And it's always a reminder that the Navy comes first. We always have yeah. to put ourselves second. Yep. And people forget that there's a human element to all this. Yeah, I know it's the military and I know it's the Navy and we got to get this shit done, but there's still humans behind these numbers. There's still humans behind these jobs. They, they have real shit going on. Yep. And when I finally started to get help, I mean, that's something that I learned from the Navy is when to, when to fucking say no. And when to take care of myself because even though we're taught that we come second it taught me like this whole the whole experience that i'm gonna take care of myself the, na- the navy is be- gonna go on you know what i mean yeah the navy will go on on its own like right. you are your biggest advocate when it comes to anything right. health you know what i mean your own you are gonna be your biggest advocate and I've told I've told my junior sailors because I was I was um, a supervisor, night check supervisor at one point after I made second. I was like, you know, listen, the the Navy is your job. The Navy is not your life. Your family will be there. The Navy, once it can't use you anymore, will not be there for you. You can do the best that you can and you can take pride in your job and you can do the best that you can do. But if you're not taken care of, I mean, how, how are you going to do anything you want to do? Yeah, you you, you got to take care of yourself. So when you were finally right. diagnosed, right, when you when you went in, so I'm taking it just like, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but, mm-hmm. you know, mental health day came obviously at some point in my, my career and I went in there yeah. and I, I told them the truth, you know, and... They gained my trust, so I opened up, and bam, again, you know, medical hold, obviously, limb do. Now the ringer begins. I'm in a, mm-hmm. you know, just coming out of a med board right now, where 
Um, I'm going to be medically retired, which is okay. I'm not, I'm, I'm actually happy about that, you know, cause it kind of gets me away from my trigger points and things within the military. But so this time comes and mm-hmm. I'm still taking it like you are the cream of the crop at your job. You're running the, the flight deck. All your quals are done. Good sailor. You know, you've done your, mm-hmm. what you needed to do um, for the service of your country, for the service of your chain of command, for your junior sailors and your peers. Now you're at sitting in front of mental health and they say, hey, you got an issue. What happens with you and what happens with them? Um, like in my situation? Yeah. So I was actually in my second seagoing command because, you know, being first tour and getting married, they, I was placed in, in a seagoing command and time was up um, to do rotation. Um, <laughs> where the command that I just came from was going on a stand down. Mm-hmm. I went to a command that was just starting their workups again. <laughs> so. So now you're going to somewhere where they don't even really know you. They don't know me. They don't know my story. There's, you know, my, my first command people became my family. Right. First and I had yeah. none of them. Yeah. I had none of them. And I was in a shop where I was the only female and I was the only female the entire time that I was there, which was almost a year. Which, you know, is fine, but I didn't have like, you know, long story short, you know, I had a problem with one of the people in there and I didn't feel safe. Okay. (laughs) What was the Um, the problem? um, They said some really um, nasty things to me as well as uh, we're getting a lot more hands on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So let's, because... um, Part of our, you know what I mean? Like I said before, part of our podcast is to make sure that everybody kind of can relate. You know what I mean? So um, when you say, and I'm not, you know, if it's really, I mean, as much as you're comfortable with, but was it like harassment? Was it, what, what was going on exactly? Because there's somebody out there that probably has gone through exactly what you're going, what you went through is going through it right Right. now. Well, this person um, found out that my husband had just gone to the boat. Oh, fucking Jody. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it, it started with like, with jokes, but then the jokes started to get like nastier and nastier. Um, they started asking like very personal things. They would start asking to go on jobs with just myself and them. And then the questions would start. Or the comments would start. Um, it was, it was something even as nasty as like I talked about like buying a new TV for my living room, and he was like, "Oh, when am I coming over? We're gonna watch some, you know, porn on it or whatever." I was like, the "What?" Fuck? <laughs> Fucking like, Jody. Never. <laughs> um, Predator. It, fucking Jody. That's what that is. <laughs> and it it started to like seem as though like. Anytime I walked by or they walked by, they would like touch my hands or touch my shoulders. It was like very innocuous, you know. Did you report and it? I went and talked to an advocate. Okay. Because I was like, listen, I felt like I was blowing things out of proportion. <laughs> as people who encounter things like this often do. Um, and it felt like it was happening in such a way that nobody else noticed it was going on. And I was new to the squadron. So 
who are they going to believe the guy that's been there for years or me? <laughs> um, well, probably good. Hopefully good news for you is that usually they have a reoccurring type of behavior, behavior. That, yeah, and pattern that establishes, you know, as a criminologist, that's, that's pretty essential when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, you know, I was encouraged to, um, confront the person myself first to see if it would stop. Mm -hmm. And fortunately enough for me, it did. Um, I was like, you know, listen, I don't know what you've got going on in your life, but I need you to stop whatever the fuck you're doing because it's making me uncomfortable. And I don't want to have issues with you. I think I, you know, I was like, when I got here, you were the only nice person to me. And it sucks that the only nice person to me is somebody that I feel scared around now. Mm -hmm. And he was like, Oh shit. Like I'm so, he, he did. He genuinely apologized and he never did anything like that ever again. Um, and I feel really lucky because I feel like that doesn't happen in, in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. It it stopped right there, and I couldn't believe it. So I got I got lucky with my story. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the thing too is that I didn't know if it was going to stay that way, it and I was have, getting ready to go to the ship with these people. It must have really messed you up too, because you have, <clears throat> you know, you had that incident where you were prior to the Navy, where you were probably with the straight psychopath you know and then yes. you end up with somebody and now you have a similar situation where this guy's kind of being predatory you know and and it makes you feel uncomfortable so i guarantee that that probably kicked in uh to gear some of those feelings that you used to feel too yes absolutely <laughs> um yeah I, I mean it i couldn't even function during the day when comments were made or things like that and to some, it seems like what, he only said this, but they don't know like what's gone on in the past before. And I told that, I told that individual that I said, you have no idea what somebody's been through. You have no idea. You don't know me that well. You don't know what I've been through. And it's fucking me up. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's affecting my daily life. And it was really scary to do that, but it, it worked. So in some cases it does work. Um, so having to go to the ship after that with me being the only female and I really didn't tell anybody else that had gone on because I took care of it and I didn't want to, you know, cause problems when I just got to this command. Yeah. Um, that's another stigma. Yeah. So I went to the ship and it was only for 10 days of we we can barely hear you. You're, you're kind of muffled. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Can you there hear you me go. now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. So it was only for about ten days. I was like, oh, I can do this. I can I can manage ten days. <laughs> and I did. I got through it okay. But I was also tossed into this situation where I was the highest ranking AT going, and I was having to run a shop on the ship by myself in a new command. <laughs> Which I did it, you know, and I'm really proud that I did it, (laughs) but it was not something that I wanted to do. And it's not something that I felt like I was equipped to do at the time, but I made it through it. And long story short, after that, we were supposed to go back to the boat again for a month. And that's when I lost it. That's when. What was the tipping point? We were getting ready to go. It was, it was real workups now. It was, it was like 
reliving 18 hour days every day. Yeah. It was reliving it all again. And now I'm by myself. I'm not where anybody cares about me. My husband's in my last command. Like I'm by myself in this. I have no friends. I have nobody that I can trust. There were already investigations going on for some, uh, one of the, the khakis in that squadron who was my LCPO at the time. So I had nobody to trust. There was nobody that I could go to. And I finally lost it <laughs> one day. And I, because I was, I was waking up every day in a panic mm. and crying and going to bed every night in a panic crying and not being able to eat or overeating sometimes because it's the only thing that kept my mind off of having to go back to the ship. Yeah. We have, by myself. We, yeah, we have experiences like that. I've heard of with uh, bulimic and anorexic uh, type issues, you know, to, to try to just take their mind off the pain. Yeah. Feeling a certain image. Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't imagine going underway again. I really didn't know if I was going to survive it anymore. And in the middle of the day, I called our command chaplain before I went to work. And I was like, can I have an emergency meeting? And it went from there. And because I didn't trust any of my leadership in that command, I had the chaplain come with me after I completely lost my mind in front of the chaplain, you know, crying and couldn't. I was re- I was really like leaving my body again, it felt like. Mm-hmm. So- I did I, Mm-hmm. I want to ask the the thing with not is was it just the LCPO was in your leadership change so that's why you didn't trust it or was there more that uh, I'm just trying to get the feel of the leadership because you said you didn't trust them so right um well for example when I did leave that command um I let the XO and the and the CMC or the excuse me the the CO and the CMC know like hey um I've witnessed this person doing these horrible things like I've witnessed them making racist comments and sexist comments and making fun of people's mental health and um oh yeah this is fucking great yeah it it was I hated being around this person um and I told them all this I was like this he's really really making it difficult for your sailors to even function at work creating a toxic work environment yeah, you know what they did a month after after that, after I told them all that? They made him acting CMC. Gangster. I guess we push him <laughs> into the ground and then we're, we're like CMC material now. Huh? Yeah, so they made him acting CMC while the CMC went off and did whatever he needed to take care of. Well, and, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I'm sure that the current or the current CMC that was there probably didn't know anything about it or he wouldn't have put him in that position. I, I, I could probably guarantee you that. You know what I mean? I really hope so. <laughs> Because I was blown away. Yeah, he, this this individual is the one that had the investigation under his belt. Right. Like, there's just, there's a lot. Look, there's some fucking creeps in the Navy. There's creeps wherever the fuck we go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And for some reason, I could see what you're going through as far as being the only female in a squadron. Because being in a squadron's fucking tough enough. You know what I mean? I was the only female in my shop. In the shop. In the shop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but still... You know what I mean? It's still a hard gig. You know, you're the highest ranking too. So everybody's got to listen to you. And then you have a dirt bag that's doing stupid shit, you know, that's leading the troops. It's just a bad, it's a bad environment. It, it shows you the wrong things that the Navy represents, which isn't the type of stuff they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
it, it just made me glad to be away from that environment. I mean, that, that command also had the most losses on the flight line for drug use, I think, yeah. um, from what, from what I understood. Um, so yeah, when I, when I went to, um, the chaplain and got his help and told, you know, my chin in command, I really seriously think the sailor needs help. Yeah. And I don't think she needs to be going to the ship. <laughs> um, I, oh my God. So, so let me blow the stigma up. real quick. You sure. ready for this one? Because yeah. this one's, this one's going to, this one's going to come real quick when somebody, I, I guarantee you there's going to be some scruffly guy or girl out there that's going to hear that. And they're going to be like, Oh, this fucking bitch just wanted to get off the boat. So she went and cried mental help. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I did, I, I did have some of that stigma like, Oh, okay. Um, what, what I, reminded people of is I wasn't going to be making cruise anyway. My rotation was going to be up before cruise anyway. Mm-hmm. This wasn't a case of, Oh, I don't feel like going to the boat this time. It was a case of, I don't think I would have survived again and again and again doing this all over again. Yeah. It just pushes you closer and closer to, to destruction. Right. And yeah, I, I mean, I did face some of that. But at that point in time, I didn't care anymore. It got to a, I I finally got to a point where I didn't care if I lost my job anymore because I couldn't do my job because I felt like I was losing my life. Totally good. (laughs) I was losing my mind. So when it, at first, when I reached out to, they told me to call mental health and, and get an appointment and make, you know, my command made sure that I had medical saying that I absolutely couldn't go to the boat. Mm-hmm. I called at first and the person at the desk, bless their heart, told me we don't have an appointment until it's it's going to be a month or so from now. Yep. yep. And I was like, I don't have a month from now. And they were like, well, we have walk-ins, but don't come in unless you think you're suicidal or you're going to hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> they told me don't come in unless I'm suicidal. <laughs> like I'm trying to, I'm trying to fix this before I get there. Exactly. And that's another broken piece of this whole thing, man, is you got to be either severely over the tipping point to where you're like catastrophically about to jump off a bridge or you have to be sound enough to be able to wait them up. Yeah. Yeah. And we were supposed to be leaving for the ship in like a week or so. And I knew it was, it was coming up and it was just getting so worse. And so I ended up actually going to my PCM and I walked in <laughs> these poor Corman thought I was probably nuts, but I walked in and I was shaking and crying because I was getting jerked around mm-hmm. and told, well, go here, go here, go here. And I finally, I didn't care who was in the lobby. I said, I need some fucking help. I was like, I need somebody to fucking help me. I was like, I'm losing my fucking mind and I need somebody to listen to me. I was like, is my doctor back there? And is she available? Mm -hmm. And they did. They went and they found her. And I had kind of started to talk to her about how I was dealing with anxiety and the depression and, you know, possible PTSD at that point. I hadn't, you know, talked to the therapist about it yet. Right. I finally saw her and she was the first one to actually listen to me. And she sat me down and she was like, listen, I know that you are struggling and I know that you're going through this. They're not going to make you go to that boat. I'll make you Lindu tomorrow. (laughs) 
So she was an advocate for me and she called mental health and got me an appointment like a week later. Damn. So I had, (laughs) I had, all I had to do was blow up in medical. (laughs) Well, at least you, at least you got it taken care of because there's so many more out there that they go into this broken system where they walk in the doors of, of a clinic, you know what I mean? Or a behavioral health center. And they're like, Hey, I need help. And they're like, they tell them the same thing they told you. You know what I mean? Well, we yeah. have an appointment a month and a half out, two months. And you know what the the sad part is that makes me shed tears is that person utterly gets defeated at that moment in time right there. It yeah. Says, you know like what? it's not worth it. I may as well just not go. <laughs> well, not only that, a lot of them, they're like, okay, sounds good. Next day they're face planting off the top of a bridge. You know what I mean? Or, yeah. Because they just gave up on life. It was like, yeah, I can't even walk into a clinic and get help and, and try to seek that umbrella, that safety. And see, it's bullshit because, like I said before, they're like, well, how are we going to help these sailors? And it's like, they, some of them are going. And then they're like, oh, well, you got to wait a whole month or so. Like, why they got to wait a month? This is like something serious. Like, they, why can't you get referred downtown? You know what I mean? Right. Like, why can't you go on town? Why can't they give you... Like, why can't they outsource you on a, like a FaceTime call with somebody else that can prescribe something also? You know what I'm saying? Like there are other avenues. It's just, I don't, if the Navy, I don't know. I, and Trey, you probably agree with me. I just don't think, I think the Navy, should I say this smartly, puts a bandaid on things because they don't realize how severe it is. Or they think that somebody's making it up. They go off of the words of their upper chain of command with, you know, performance and things like that. You know, I, I think there's a lot of factors in it. I think there's a lot of ways ahead and a ways forward that the DOD itself can actually incorporate. I think one of the biggest fucking things that really pissed me off when I was going through my process was um, marriage therapy. I don't know if you know this, marriage therapy and personal therapy. If you're going to personal therapy, guess what they tell you when you try to go to marriage therapy at the same time? <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, yeah. Right. We're not paying for it. And it's sad yeah. because a lot of guys, their their personal beings are suffering, but their marriages and things like that are also suffering at the same time. And well, and that's something that breaks my heart too, is I have so many guy friends that <laughs> don't reach out and don't get help because they're the man of the house or they're a guy or their friends would make fun of them for needing help with their mental health. I've yeah. watched, you know, mental illness destroy some of the best guys I've ever known in my life. Yep. That's true. And, and girls too. I mean, there's, they're, they're out there and, and they're, they're, I think they're slowly starting to gain the power within their soul. You know what I mean? To say, Hey, um, I'm not shutting up anymore and I'm going to let other women out there in the service know that I fucking suffered. And if they're suffering, they need to come forward, you know, and get help. Yeah. Um, holy shit. You know, Go ahead. <laughs> I'm just, things are reeling <laughs> in my mind right now. So, yeah, no worries at all. Um, I th- actually that day that um, I, you know, demanded help. Um, the the doctor, you know, offered medicine, medication, and I tried it because I was at my wits end. First I was six. really scared of it prior to that. Mm-hmm. And. So I was like, I mean, I guess I'll try it, but I'm really scared. And so I let, you know, the people, especially my husband know around me, if I start acting differently, Mm -hmm. 
do something. And I, it actually ended up helping me quite a bit. Um, was it a how, benzodiazepine or an SSRI? Uh, it was an SSRI. I mean, it was, it was both at first, a limited <laughs> supply of, of the benzos, you know, yeah, yeah. limited, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, just to get things under control. And then when things were under control, I just continued on the SSRIs and I did, I felt so good. It, it sounds crazy, I think, sometimes, and people don't understand when I explain it to them. But I started noticing the leaves on trees again, if that makes any sense. I started noticing the color of the houses around me. I started knowing or noticing the way the cracks in the concrete looked. It's because I was so inside my head all the time. I was so under under this, I was under such a heavy blanket of depression and anxiety that I didn't notice the world around me anymore. Yeah. And I was just on autopilot all the time. And so when I started taking that medication, I started noticing the little things again. And I laugh because it, it kind of sounds silly that I noticed leaves on trees, <laughs> but oh, that's a, that's a good point because it, it, what it did, it was, it slowed you all the way down to where you could actually yeah. do that. Absolutely. And it ended up eventually later getting to be something that, of course, I didn't have anxiety anymore because I was too numb. <laughs> so continuing it wasn't good for me anymore. Um, are you familiar with what highway hypnosis is? Mm-hmm. Like when you're driving down the road and you notice all of a sudden like, whoa, how did I get here? <laughs> Even though you were consciously driving the whole time. That's kind of how I felt you know, 24 seven on the medicine, so, so, the medication. Yeah. Like at that point. it's the same thing with me. Like when I started Lexapro or no, I yeah. started on like on some other ones and they were fucking made me feel ugly at the beginning, but then I got used to them. And then I felt like it numbed me out too much to where like there was zero fucks given. Like I'm like, Oh, whatever. Yeah. Like there was no, no, and like the fucking buildings burning down, Ooh, Ooh, whatever. Like, a, <laughs> like there was no break. Yeah. Like, a, like a, not really morals, but like I was doing stuff I normally would not do because yeah. I was like the being scared part was completely away. And I'm like, right. I need to get off of this shit. And they're like, oh well, no, let's see on a little more. I'm like, and I went to go talk to my therapist. I'm like, you need to give me a different doc. That other doc's like, what do you want me to do? I'm like, I want to get the fuck off the medicine. He's like, well, let's go break it in half then. And so at half has been good with some benzos emergencies, like yeah. you said. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just, I, I even started having memory issues mm-hmm. at one point. Um, I would forget entire conversations. I would either forget the conversation or I would forget who I had the conversation with. <laughs> and people would be you know, saying things like, hey, you remember yesterday when I was like, no, nope. absolutely not. I have no idea what you're talking about. Or I would even have trouble having conversations because my brain would get muddled. So it, at a point, it did help me. And I'm glad that I tried it and that it worked for me for a little while because now I'm not wondering if it'll help me or not. Now I know that I can get through these things. It's it, Like you said, it slowed me down enough to gather myself and really my anxiety and shit hasn't been as unbearable as it was before. But I'm also in an environment now where I don't have to deal with flight line because yeah. I went, because I went limited duty. I don't mm-hmm. have to deal with flight line. I don't have to deal with eight, 16, 18 hour days. I don't have to worry about the boat, 
you know, I can just go to my job, do what I need to do and come home and take care of me. Yeah. Good. So, so for the listeners out there, especially like sailors and stuff, we're going to have to wrap it up here soon. Um, what is your advice to them? I just have to say, take pride in everything that you do. There's a reason that all of us joined. There's a reason that motivated us to get out there and, you know, see the world and do all these crazy things that nobody else gets to do. But at the same time, don't ever be afraid to take care of yourself. Don't ever be afraid of that. And I'm, I wish I had learned that sooner. I wish I had learned to say no sooner because it makes me a better human being. And if I can take care of myself, I can take care of my sailors as well. I can take care of the next people coming in and it's okay to be feeling the way that you feel. And it's not going to last forever. The way that you feel is not going to last forever. And it's okay to get the help, no matter who you are, whether you're a khaki or you're a new airman. That's important. And I'd like to emphasize that. I think that that's a main takeaway that I want to put out there. Um, Is it, Senior senior enlisted khaki level um, that had some significant time in. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we were brought up in the Navy to where you think it's bad now. It was really bad then. And, I mean, I remember my first uh, post-deployment check sheet when they were like, hey, if you check any of them fucking boxes, we're going to have problems. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, I mean, uh, that's, that's when I'm waking up with nightmares, you know what I mean, and, and sweats because of shit that I've done, you know. And... I'm just saying senior enlisted are broken. There's a lot of senior lists out there that are broken. They don't want to fucking admit it because of too much pride. It was me at one point. It was Trey at one point. You know what I mean? And now the shits look at us. We're to the point where we're so good at our jobs, but we broke down and now we're incapable of taking care of troops. Big facts. Um, And your point is valid. Get help before it's too late because if you don't take care of yourself, especially if you're senior enlisted, junior enlisted, but I'm talking to the senior guys out there, how can you take care of of people like AT2 Alex? How can you take care of her when you can't even see past your own nose because you don't got a problem? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, for all those guys that have an AT2 Alex in their in their shop, you know what I mean? On their on their flight deck, squadron, ships company boots on the ground infantry doesn't matter i mean look at this story and then examine your leadership and say am i susceptible to allowing people like at2 alex to come forward and be able to seek help just like i i I would like to point out one key element of your first leader that you talked about which was a chief which is very inspirational what he said to you on the flight deck. I think that you needed that at that time. And I think he was the right person to, to deliver it. And I think that was accurate information. And I I think for probably some reason that did hold you up. It did mm-hmm. confirm that you didn't do anything wrong. Right. There's a lot of poison out there, obviously that we got to work through as a Navy. There's a lot of poison that we have to work through as leadership, a lot of poison that we have to work through as junior enlisted and God bless what you do. I, I, I know we, we got to wrap this thing up here. So I just want to capitalize on a few words that I want you to remember, Alex. And I hope your husband's listening if he is. 
Um, to wrap your story up, I mean, Jesus, dad, that was an alcoholic, <clears throat> you know, caused you pain, a lot of pain. You had to pretty much take care of him like you were an adult. You were exposed to PTSD as a child. I mean, complex stuff that you talked about. Um, you were abused by the same man. Only to turn it around and show re- your resilience through getting a, uh, a alumni graduate, through being a uh, getting a bachelor or uh, associate's degree, your resilience led you to joining a, the world's greatest navy. You're a survivor. Non-judgmental is what you're portraying for all of us out here in the world, and you're telling your message of resiliency and determination to take care of yourself to do the mission. We're all doing critical things out there. We know that the mission's important, senior leadership. I know the mission's important, AT2. And from the senior leadership that's misguided you, I want to say that I'm sorry that we've been so blind to the facts of what you guys go through sometimes, that we tend to put the mission first above everything, even our sailors' health, to the point where it breaks their backs. I'm sorry as a senior leader that we failed to get you your medical help on time when you needed it the most. And I'm sorry that you have to sit in the limb do command because you're now broken. Doesn't mean you're broken forever, but right now you have to get your head straight because we failed to see the signs and to get you there when you cried out the most. I want to say that from a senior leader's perspective, I hope that you could put that in your mind as some of your senior leaders to be able to put peace to that. I want to ask God to bless you. Um, in your life, with your husband, your family. God bless you. God bless your family. Thank you for sharing your story. And thank you guys so much for making the time for me. And I absolutely don't regret my time at all in the Navy. I've learned so much, but it's been so important to me to help, hopefully help other people. So thank you. Oh, pleasure is ours. And I'm really glad you did what you did. Trey? I just want to say thanks. Thanks for giving us the opportunity to get your story on, on here on our podcast so others can hear and they can know they're not alone and they have a have a story to hear that might, may be the same as their own and it'll give them that little bit of hope or inspiration to go talk to put themselves their mental state first you know what I mean right so thank you for coming on here and we really appreciate it thank you so much